Welcome to First Formation, spiritual exercise for Christian soldiers looking to get the fuck up and pray. Join Pew Pew HQ every weekday morning to hear the good news through grunts and with grunts in the unity of the Holy Spirit as one church forever and ever. Fall in. Psalm 97. The Lord is King. Let the earth rejoice. Let the many coastlands be glad. Clouds and thick darkness are all around him. Righteousness and justice are the foundation of his throne. Fire goes before him and consumes his adversaries on every side. His lightnings light up the world. The earth sees and trembles. The mountains melt like wax before the Lord, before the Lord of all the earth. The heavens proclaim his righteousness, and all the peoples behold his glory. All worshippers of images are put to shame, those who make their boast in worthless idols. All gods bow down before him. Zion hears and is glad, and the towns of Judah rejoice because of your judgments, O God. For you, O Lord, are most high over all the earth. You are exalted far above all gods. The Lord loves those who hate evil. He guards the lives of his faithful. He rescues them from the hand of the wicked. Light dawns for the righteous, and joy for the upright in heart. Rejoice in the Lord, O you righteous, and give thanks to his holy name. Acts chapter 16, verses 16 through 34. One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners a great deal of money by fortune-telling. While she followed Saul and us, she would cry out, These men are slaves of the Most High God who proclaim to you a way of salvation. She kept doing this for many days, but Saul, very much annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I order you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Saul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the authorities. When they had brought them before the magistrates, they said, These men are disturbing our city. They're Jews, and they're advocating customs that are not lawful for us as Romans to adopt or observe. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates had them stripped of their clothing and ordered them to be beaten with rods. After they had given them a severe flogging, they threw them in prison and ordered the jailer to keep them securely. Following these instructions, he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Saul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was an earthquake so violent that the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were unfastened. When the jailer woke up and saw the prison doors wide open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, since he, was suppo- since he supposed that the prisoners had escaped. But Saul shouted, shouted in a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we're all here. The jailer called for lights, and rushing in, he fell down trembling before Saul and Silas. Then he brought them outside and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They answered, Believe on the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. They spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. At the same hour of the night, he took them and washed their wounds. Then he and his entire family were baptized without delay. He brought them up into the house and set food before them, he and his entire household. They rejoiced that he had become a believer in God. 
Revelation chapter 22, verses 12 through 14, 16, 17, and 20 and 21. See, I am coming soon. My reward is with me, to repay according to everyone's work. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. Blessed are those who wash their robes, that they will have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. It is I, Jesus, who sent my angel to you with this testimony for the churches. I am the root and the descendant of David, the bright morning star. The spirit and the bride say, Come, and let everyone who hears say, Come, and let everyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who wishes to take the water of life as a gift. The one who testifies to these things says, Surely I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints. Amen. To all of God's beloved in New Market who are called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you to Pastor Scott for inviting me to preach here at New Market for this Memorial Day weekend, and to each of you for joining us this morning, either online or in person. Within the military community, Memorial Day is known more for what it is not than for what it is. It is not Veterans Day, when we celebrate those like me who have served. It's also not Armed Forces Day, when we celebrate those who are serving. Memorial Day is also about who is not with us anymore. It is when we celebrate those who have died while serving. For most Americans, the phrase military funeral conjures up folded flags next to kin and 21-gun salutes, what soldiers and veterans call a full military honors funeral. Regular military funerals involve grilled meat, cold beer, and hearty conversation. They come off more celebratory than mournful. Old battle buddies sit around remembering their friend rather than lamenting their own loss. There's room for grief, and pouring one out for the homies is a staple practice, but grief just doesn't steal the show. For most Americans, it would be awkward to roll up to a cemetery with a barbecue, cooler, and camping chair in tow, but soldiers and veterans are not most Americans. In fact, we're a minority. Just under 7% of Americans have ever served in the military. Nonetheless, civilians celebrate Memorial Day the same way military families do, albeit for a very different reason. In fact, civilian Memorial Day doesn't memorialize anything. It looks forward to the start of summer rather than back upon ended lives. What is Memorial Day if, for most Americans, Service members are out of sight and out of mind. When we pontificate about military service, we're not recalling human beings with complicated life stories. We're just manufacturing caricatures that divinize our own preconceived notions about violence, statecraft, and national identity. Dead soldiers are venerated as saints who made the ultimate sacrifice or vilified as sinners who committed the ultimate sin. Like politics, theology has never been a spectator sport. There is no standing back from the fray. In this morning's readings from Revelation, we're told, I am coming soon. My reward is with me to repay according to everyone's work. John doesn't say everyone's thoughts and prayers, but everyone's work. Not the things we say we do, not the things we want to do, not even the things that people think we do. What soldiers actually do is important to understand for any military holiday because many people falsely believe that all soldiers kill. 
Progressives expect all veterans to do penance because all military service is a sin, while conservatives justify killing in war and venerate all soldiers as saints. For Saul in the early church, calling someone a saint was to name them as one of God's beloved, a fellow member of the body of Christ. Not every Tom, Dick, and Sally were saints, but every believer was. A saint was not just someone who we remembered from our past. They were part of the Ecclesia Militans, a living organism disclosing our future by bearing witness to the Lord of Lords, the Emperor of Emperors. Saul begins each of his epistles by greeting his audience with the promise of grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. In his letter to the Romans, from which I borrowed for my own salutation, he greets those who are called to be hagioi, meaning saints or holy ones. He's not suggesting that some Christians in Rome are not called to sainthood. He's pointing out that not all Romans call themselves Christian. The earliest Christian memorials were cause for celebration rather than mourning. The saints would mass at the cemetery, wine in hand, and throw a party. Folks would share their favorite memories of their dead friend, and these stories would eventually be collected into biographies called Vitae, or Lives of the Saints. These annual days of memorial would come to be known as feast days, because breaking bread and chugging wine was the main attraction. As the festivities wound down, the mood would become somber as the time came to say goodbye for another year. Before leaving, an alcoholic beverage would be poured out for the deceased, a practice preserved in military memorials to this day. It's, it's almost as if soldiering, its values and customs, have been a part of the church since the very beginning. I like using the Revised Common Lectionary because it puts scripture in control and prevents preachers from cherry-picking texts to make a predetermined point with their sermon. To be fair, I did choose overtly militaristic hymns to accompany today's readings because it just so happens that one of the passages for this morning features a soldier saint that few Christians seem to remember, or notice in the first place. Acts 16 is set in Philippi, a city earlier identified as a Roman colony by Luke in verse 12. But the author isn't being entirely forthright here. Philippi is a Roman military colony where Octavian and Mark Antony retired combat veterans of the Liberator Civil War in 43 BCE. A few decades later, even, the, even more were settled there, and the city was placed on the, under the Municipal Code of Rome rather than the provincial leadership. It became a recruiting station, an influential outpost of the empire, filled with military families, young and old. Lydia, the woman who dealt in purple and befriended Saul, probably gained access to that highly insular textile economy through a veteran father or dead soldier husband. If you follow the lectionary, you heard about her last week. This week, Luke's attention turns to another military family of Des, the jailer of Philippi. He's not named in the text, but Des is short for Desmophylax, Greek for jailer or warden. In most towns, the Desmophylax might be a blue-collar worker, just another resident duly authorized to oversee the local jail. But Philippi was not most towns. Not just any Tom, Dick, or Sally could be trusted with the political prisoners kept under the watchful eye of its imperial chain of command. After depriving some local businessmen of their enslaved source of income, Des is ordered to keep Saul and Silas securely, so he put them in the innermost cell and fastened their feet in the stocks. The missionaries are treated as the most dangerous of detainees, and only the most loyal legionary would be trusted with political prisoners like Saul and Silas. 
Dez's imperial indoctrination is on full display in his reaction to the earthquake setting all of his prisoners free. Only the most brainwashed warrior would be so invested in military honor and duty that their first instinct upon failing their mission is to fall on their own sword. Saul, however, intervenes before the soldier can take his own life, telling him that his prisoners haven't gone anywhere. Dez is so relieved that he slips up and calls them by a name the emperor likes to reserve for himself. Kyrioi, lords, what must I do to be saved? Saul tells him, Pisteuo, believe. So he and his whole family does. Des takes Saul and Silas to his own house and washes the wounds that had been inflicted on the two of them by his own battle buddies. Then, maybe with the same blood-stained water, he and his family are baptized, becoming the last of several Christian soldiers already depicted in the New Testament. For instance, the first Christian soldiers are baptized by John at the Jordan River, according to Luke 3 and 7. I call them rakes, a play off the Hebrew word rachak, meaning penitent. Then there is the Galilean noble of Matthew 8, Luke 7, and John 4. I call him Captain Marvel, because he commands a hundred men as a centurion and makes Jesus marvel at his great faith. Then there is Loginus, a composite character, combining the soldier who pierces Jesus' side at Golgotha in John 19 with a synoptic centurion who declares him divine in Matthew 27 and Mark 15 and or innocent in Luke 23. In Acts, the sequel to uh, Luke, there are even more, including Cornelius of chapter 10 and the commander-in-chief of Cyprus and Saul's highest convert, Sergius Paulus of Acts 13. After Lydia, the military brat and or spouse, Des is the last in the narrative New Testament, but there's good evidence to suggest that Philemon, the bishop of, of Colossae and the recipient of Saul's final canonical epistle, is also a soldier. His slave, Onesimus, was probably acquired in a typically battlefield fashion, and the letter is just one of two appearances of Sustratiotis, translated fellow soldier. Scholars have pointed out that this word only appears in wider Greek literature in letters sent between battle buddies on the front lines, suggesting that Saul is using it to tug on the heartstrings of military families like Philemon's and military communities like the Philippians. If I'm making it sound like soldiering, its values, and customs have been part of the church from the very beginning, it's because they have been. For most Christians, service in scripture is out of sight and out of mind because most Christians aren't soldiers. And there are understandable, if overstated, doubts about the morality of military service. I know because I had them. Even I had to overcome my own bias against soldiering, and I was a soldier. A combat deployment in 2004 had forced my eyes open, put me in the position of having to choose between being an artilleryman and a Christian. A year after coming home from war, I applied to be a non-combatant conscientious objector to change the jobs but stay in uniform. An acrimonious commanding officer created a hostile environment in which longtime friends were afraid to be seen or speak with me. Becoming a Christian soldier had cost me everything I had known in my life to that point. To hear some people tell the story of my life at that time, I was saved from the evil of further bloodshed and spared the life of sin that military service necessarily entails. I certainly felt that way at times, and influential Christians were eager to enhance their own credibility by sharing their platform with me when I did. But as I matured spiritually and theologically, the complicated feelings I held about military service were increasingly unwelcome. 
When I objected to their most harmful stereotypes, other veteran voices were ready to rotate in and continue to prop up toxic theology. The loss was not as sharp, but it still hurt. I was left wondering frequently why I was expected to leave six years of my life at the altar as though soldiers could not be saints, just because so many saints had some bias against soldiers. Our reading from Revelation closes with the grace of the Lord Jesus be with all the saints, an echo of Saul's favorite epistolatory salutation. When I read it, especially in tandem with the story of an unknown soldier like Des, I'm reminded that even soldiers and veterans can be saints, even sinners like me, and saints like a father or mother, a close friend or relative, or maybe your own child. Their service doesn't set them apart, either up on a pedestal or down in the dumps. They're holy because they are God's beloved. They are human, not divine, imperfect, but good. May the grace of God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ be with all the saints, not just the ones we're used to or the ones we would choose, but each and every believer. What good is memory if we pick and choose stories that reinforce our own prejudice? What is the church without her soldiers? So, for all you grill masters and beer enthusiasts out there celebrating a feast tomorrow, eat, drink, and be merry, but be not ignorant. Remember that sacred someone whose sacrifice made freedom free. Not soldiers, of course. They're not gods. But they are saints. And that's good news for everyone. Thank you for falling into First Formation, where Pew Pew HQ shares morning prayers for the humble, hardy folk caught in the crosshairs of God and country. If you like what you've heard, you can participate in one of the three following ways. First, you can support the podcast at patreon.com slash pewpewhq. You can contribute as little as a dollar a month, and you can cancel at any time if I ever piss you off. Second, you can become a co-host by recording a lectionary reading for a future episode. Instructions will be provided, and you don't have to be a grunt to collaborate with pewpewhq in this or any way. Finally, you can also record and send prayer requests of a minute or less. Prayers can be included in the episode, read anonymously if you wish, or kept private for me to pray for off-air. So there you have it, three ways to participate in First Formation. I hope you'll continue to listen, even if I can't convince you to jump in. This has been Brother Logan Isaac, always faithful, always family. Semper Familia.